All right, this is Free Will and Franklin here. I'm joined in the KPFA studios tonight by Shanice Alexander of the Oakland Food Policy Council. The Oakland Food Policy Council works to establish an equitable and sustainable food system. She is here tonight to help bring the issues covered in the film A Place at the Table to our own Bay Area. Welcome, Shanice. Thank you. Thanks for coming in tonight. I want to get to the topics covered in the film, A Place at the Table. But before we start, will you just tell us a little bit of what's at the heart of the Oakland Food Policy Council, your role, and then really what got you into the food justice business? Yeah, definitely. So the Oakland Food Policy Council started in around 2009, and the focus is creating an equitable and sustainable food system in Oakland. So we do that through policy initiatives. We do a lot of work in the community to actually gauge what's going on in our communities throughout Oakland. And then we take that to the legislative level and actually make some changes um, that will impact on a systemic level. So my role is the council director. The council is made up of 21 volunteer members and myself, who is the only paid staff. So it is a lot of work. (laughs) It's definitely a lot going on, but we've made some really great impacts over the last few years. I did not fall into food justice work on purpose. My background is in workforce development, social work. I have my master's of social work focused on community health and urban development. So I moved to Oakland about a year and a half ago after working in Chicago for about four years at a uh, urban farm that actually had a workforce development program. So uh, little did I know that that experience would actually help me in this position. I was very much focused on uh, program development and helping folks, you know, learn how to farm, but use those skills to actually take out to the workforce and find permanent employment. Um, So that's really my background is it's workforce development, but really social justice. Anything social justice is really what I'm interested in. And food insecurity, food justice is a part of that. Um, a big part of the work that we do is trying to break down these silos within the social justice issues that we're seeing. So often we look at these issues as you know, their own problems. So housing insecurity, education, food insecurity, when really anyone who's experiencing any one of those things are probably experiencing the other. So I'm coming in really with the understanding that we have to break those down and we have to really address these issues on a systemic level to really make a, the impact that we want to see. Well, obviously you're a busy person working hard. Thanks for taking the time to come speak with us tonight on KPFA. Thank you. I want to get to the film now, Place at the Table. The film talks about hunger and different people who suffer the actual pain of going hungry at times. And they're not just the folks you would imagine a hungry person, like maybe someone that happens to be homeless or struggling for food in that way. But these are working folks that still can't seem to make ends meet, sometimes two-parent working families. The film takes place in Philadelphia, Colorado, and Mississippi. But how does it tie here at home in the Bay Area where people are food insecure? And that term is, comes out in the movie. So explain food insecurity and then talk about the relative in food insecurity to the Bay Area. Definitely. So as you know, and as most of us know, the Bay Area is one of the most expensive places to live in the country. Um, and that has a lot of implications. And a part of that is, well, if I am not making a living a living wage, then I may not have the number of meals that I deserve throughout 
any given day. Uh, not only that, I may not be eating the foods that are actually good for my body, right? So um, there's a big uh, issue with, and the film talked about this, the difference, the, the connection between uh, going hungry, food insecurity, and obesity. And so that's definitely a huge issue is that even though you may not be um, going without any food on any given day, you may be eating food that is accessible to you and it's really, really bad for you. And so that has huge implications to how you feel, you know, how you operate in the world, um, your mental health, your physical health. And so in the Bay Area, I think it's really the way things are happening now. And there's a lot of displacement of folks who have been here for a long time. We have a lot of folks who can't afford to pay rent, a lot of restaurants and family-owned businesses that are being displaced as well that have been um, centers in our communities that have provided some of those foods that really uphold the communities and they're being displaced. So um, those are some of the issues that we are seeing here in the Bay Area, specifically Oakland, definitely as things are changing almost overnight. The film, they also talk about some of the consequences of poor food quality, such as childhood obesity that you mentioned, poor school attendance, a lack of concentration and focus, diabetes. I mean, the list, it's so long, it just goes on and on and on. I want to take a listen to a short clip from the film, and then we'll come back and talk about how the, um, the school system feeds our children and the, the amount of money that we as a, a country actually spend on food for kids. So let me play that clip. We'll be right back. What's served in the schools is very much a function of the kind of investment we've been willing to make. If you figure that the federal government is reimbursing schools 268 for a meal that's served free, and you take out the labor cost and the administrative cost and costs for gas and electricity and custodial services and what have you, it really doesn't leave a lot for food. Most schools report that they have between 90 cents and a dollar to actually spend on food. We're spending less than a dollar, okay, on lunch. Now, I don't know about you, but I go to Starbucks and Pete's and places like that, and a venti latte in San Francisco is $5. One gourmet coffee, one, is more, we spend more on than we are spending to feed kids for an entire week in our schools. The dollars that are being used for reimbursements haven't changed since 1973. We need to get better nutritious foods in school. And the only way to do that is by increasing the amount of the reimbursement. The uh, Committee on Education and Labor will... I'm going to stop it there just for um, time's sake. What are your thoughts on school lunches? Um, how healthy are they? And also, like the clip talked about, the amount of money, 90 cents to a dollar, we're spending on school lunches for our children. Yeah, it's it's horrible. You know, it's, it's bad. And there are some examples of schools and school systems around the country and specifically in the Bay Area that are doing really good work at trying to counteract that. In general, food, school food is not good. It's almost the worst of the worst that anyone could be eating. It's highly processed. There's usually no fresh fruits or vegetables. It's high in sugar, fat, and things like that. And so it's really not doing anything but providing a temporary energy boost and then crash for our young people. And so 
OFPC has been working specifically with Oakland uh, Unified School District to have them take on the good food purchasing policy, which is actually out of the uh, L.A. Food Policy Council and San Francisco Unified School District. They've actually agreed to to take that on earlier this year. So that's definitely a win. That's an example of how we can definitely impact school food, right? What's that policy and what does it do for us? The good food purchasing policy is basically guidelines that say, as an institution, whether you're a school, a hotel, a hospital, this is how you can provide good quality food, purchasing locally, purchasing from businesses that you know pay their staff a living wage, pur- purchasing from farms that treat animals humanely. Um, so really laying out guidelines that help institutions start making these changes so that we're leading more toward a healthier lifestyle for our, our young people and everyone, really. Um, so I think that's, that's a great move for our institutions. Some small-scale examples of what schools are doing. I know that uh, Castlemont High School, they have a, a gardening program that young people can t- participate in and learn how to farm there. And then Bishop O'Dowd High School, they actually have a gardening program where they actually use some of that food in the lunchroom. So that's something that we run into a lot is, well, you can grow here, but you can't actually use it in in the cafeteria because, you know, the schools have contracts with um, large providers and things like that. And so that school is an example of, okay, we're going to teach the young people how to grow, and then they're going to actually see the process of what it means to prepare that food, and then they get to eat it. And that's awesome. They always like that when they get to eat it in the end. All right. Well, the film A Place at the Table also uses terms like food deserts, food equity. Let's go through a couple of those terms. What is it to... Uh, meet the criteria to be considered a food desert? And do we have them in the Bay Area around here, Oakland, San Francisco, Berkeley? Are there food deserts here? Definitely, (laughs) definitely. So what is a food desert? Yeah, so the USDA uh, defines a food desert specifically as an urban area that lacks access to fresh fruits, vegetables, and whole, whole foods. Specifically in Oakland, West and East Oakland are considered food deserts. And what that means is within those communities, many of those communities, not all, but many of those communities don't have access to full service grocery stores where you can go and buy vegetables and fruits and meat, really, um, unprocessed foods. So um, a food desert is a place where I may have to travel several miles outside of my own community to actually get some of the staple items that I need to actually make healthy meals. And in the film, uh, just as an example, they one of the stories, the woman has to get on the bus, take another bus. The one-way trip is an hour just to get to a fully stocked grocery store with vegetables and meat, like you were saying, mm-hmm. not just processed foods like a corner liquor store, a gas station, or a food mart. Let's move on here. I guess if we had food justice, there would be food equity. But let's talk about what is food equity to you and the um, Oakland Food Policy Council. And if we have that food equity, is that food justice? It's tricky, right? <laughs> so it's equity is kind of umbrella under food justice. So that would be the ultimate goal, food justice. But it might mean something different to different people. OFPC definitely operates under a socioeconomic and racial equity lens. So what that means is our main focus is supporting low-income communities and and communities of color and 
making sure that they're able to have access to the same healthy foods, healthy grocery stores, farmers markets, gardens, all of those things in the same way that other communities do. Um, I, I live in East Oakland and I do most of my grocery shopping in San Leandro because it's more convenient and I have more options there. So the goal for us is to go into the community, see what's actually going on there, um, pull some of those sugar-sweetened beverages off the shelf, get rid of a lot of those, you know, just like the hot chips and things that are just thrown in the faces of our young people, um, and that's all they have, and put more food in corner stores, put more fresh produce, vegetables in the stores that are in those communities already. And I do want to be very clear that the goal is not to uh, go into those communities and just tell people what to do. We want the community to actually have the opportunity to support themselves. They've been doing it forever. So how can we empower you to continue doing what you're doing and to move toward healthier you know, access and options throughout the community as it stands and as it's culturally appropriate? All right. Well, um, we're going to let you go in a few minutes, but after we do say goodbye to you, we're going to play a, a clip from the film that we're going to see um, one reason for people's poor food choices, as you mentioned, is economic. Talk about the cost of good, healthy food versus the cost of unhealthy processed food. And then tie that to something you mentioned earlier, the living wage or a fair wage. The easiest example for me is the difference in cost between a bottle of water and a bottle of soda. If I'm really thirsty and I stop at a 7-Eleven or whatever store I'm at, do I want to spend $1.89 on a bottle of water or $0.99 cent on, a, on a soda? If I am financially insecure, I don't have the money to that to stretch, um, I'm going to go with a cheaper option. It's as simple as that, right? Um, and, and that's how I make my money stretch. So um, those are the types of issues that folks, specifically low-income folks, are constantly having to navigate. How do I make this last? And they talked about it in the film. Some things, they're just less expensive <laughs> and easier to make go further, even though they're not healthy, even though they're not good for our bodies, but they, they are a placeholder. It's something that I think is, if we pay attention to it, it's very clear that there's uh, some inequity in how products are sold to different communities, uh, what product placements are put out there for our young people, who's sponsoring our sporting events and athletics and things that are really exciting to us. Um, and we need to pay attention to that and make some changes because it's really impacting the health of our communities. So what would you like to see and what are you doing as the director of the Oakland Food Policy Council to be sure that we, you know, we do get to food equity sometime, especially for our children? You know, how do we get good, healthy food to the stores, you know, or to people? Yeah. So I don't do it alone. I definitely can't. <laughs> um, but what I will say is keeping connected to what's happening on the ground when informing policy is super important. A lot of times there's a gap between the policies that we pass and what's actually happening in, in, in real life. And so um, as a council director, I make it very uh, clear that I want the community to come in and have this conversation with us. Policy is not that exciting, right? Like it takes a long time to pass. There's a lot of research that goes into it. And, and so not everyone is interested in that, but the, the conversations that inform how we 
move forward and actually present to city council and the mayor's office and the city planning department, it has to come from the communities. And each community is different based on whatever cultural makeup there that's there, uh, socioeconomic makeup that's there. And so the needs might be different. And so our meetings, we meet once a month. Every meeting is open to the public. We do have members, but you can come in, have conversation, ask questions, present certain ideas. And even though you can't vote on those ideas, it helps move the conversation, right? And so that's why, for me, is really important as we move forward in uh, the work that we're doing is to make sure that those doors are open for everyone to come in and have that conversation. That's great. I liked your, um, your structure. Just for those who are listening, she's the only paid employee. There's a few interns that help her get some of the work done. And then there's the council, which is made up of about approximately 21 people that have voting rights and make decisions. Correct? Exactly. Yes. So and we'll link to um, your website on our website, kpfaapprentice.org, so people can check that out. And what's your website? Our website is oaklandfood.org. Oaklandfood.org. All right. Well, as part of the film, they present a historical record of hunger by using a montage of past presidents giving their speech at the podium about ending hunger. And it flashes through different presidents, both the Bushes, Clinton, Reagan, all speaking about ending hunger. And it goes all the way up to President Obama. Mm -hmm. Well, at the same time they're speaking, they have the number of hungry Americans at the bottom of the screen. And it's rising with each um, consecutive president up, up and up. And it gets to Obama. So... And the number is the highest. So what have you seen, if any change, under President Obama? And what do you see in our future looking that we're going to have either um, Hillary Clinton or um, Donald Trump as our next president? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. That part of the film for me was very interesting, right? And so we're talking the talk, but are we walking the walk here? Um, you have to give Michelle Obama props. What she's instituted with school health and getting kids active and, and being very visible with how important it is to make sure that our children are eating healthy food and outside and running around and, and uh, taking part in athletics, that is very impactful. So I'm not sure exactly what the impact of that is right now. What I do know is people have been excited about it. I know that there are institutions that have brought her ideas and her plans and policies into their smaller, you know, uh, spaces. Um, and it's really set the baseline for moving forward with how we look at health and, and happiness and our community with our young people specifically. All I can do is say, like I said, like policy, like things, it just takes a long time to kind of <laughs> see what, how it is going to actually impact where we are. So I'm hoping that it continues with whomever is brought on as the next president. I hope they take it very seriously. It's um, con like I said, it's connected to so many other social issues that we have to pay attention to it. Um, it's not its own issue. So if our children are healthy, then th that lowers the rate of juvenile diabetes. It, it may increase the rate of high school graduation. You know, it's going to take some time to actually see what that looks like. Uh, but I think we're we're moving in the right direction. And lastly, before we, we let you go, um, thanks for joining us again. We've been speaking with Shanice Alexander of the Oakland Food Policy Council. But we are here at the um, Pacifica Network Mothership Station, KPFA, and we are in the middle of a fundraiser. I wanted to ask you, is what I ask a lot of people when they come on during the fundraiser period, is we're here speaking on community radio, getting this important message out. Why do you feel it's important for people to support community-powered and listener-sponsored radio? Yeah, definitely. So there's a lot going on with our 
media right now and media is extremely powerful um, I think it's extremely important and, and great that we have some locally based media sources to turn to uh, to know exactly what's going on in our communities because often with the the bigger media platforms we're only getting a certain story and it's sometimes the same story over and over again and we don't necessarily know what's going on in our own communities so having uh, this platform to actually have conversation with what's going on on the ground like I said influences so much it influences individuals organizations institutions and it's super important so I definitely appreciate the opportunity to be here I appreciate this platform for you know Oakland and the Bay Area to keep us connected and yeah I, I think you know more people People should get involved and, and listen and tap into what's going on in, in our communities. All right. Thank you, Shanice Alexander of the Oakland Food Policy Council. Thanks for joining us tonight on Full Circle. Thank you.